This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Well, good morning, everyone. You know, some incredible things happened in 1989. The Berlin Wall came down. Remember the Hof? Singing on the Berlin. How can we forget that? Uh, did you know that my brother and myself set up our first company on the 16th of November, 99, on the bedroom in a farm up there in Kumdi? But something else happened in 1989. The band called Queen and a writer called Freddie Mercury wrote the song that went, I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. Interestingly, Freddie Mercury never sang that song live. It was uh, on the album Miracles that was released in 1989. And it was first performed live by Queen in 1992. And that was performed a year after Freddie Mercury had passed away at the age of 45 in 1991. So interesting there, if you want to make a note of that for pub quiz, which song did Freddie Mercury from one of his albums never sing uh, live? But the reality of life is we want it all, don't we? Come on, let's be honest. We want it all and we want it now. I mean, who would have ever thought that we would live in a time where we would have drive-through restaurants? Come on, let's be serious, isn't it? You know, and drive-through, certain drive-through restaurants like McDonald's and drive-through coffee shops that we now have. I mean, how many of you think that in the world of fast food, it's still not fast enough? How many of you live there? (laughs) Yeah, because we want it all. We want it all. We want it now. You know, there's certain places in America right now where Amazon are doing same-day deliveries. How cool is that? How many of you want a same-day delivery that you could order today and get it today? I mean, you can't get much better than that. And we live in this world of immediacy. We live in the world of needing so many things so quickly most of the time. We live in the world of ready everything and instant everything, don't we? We live in a world that has created for us in the last 200 years so many different things. I mean, we now have instant coffee. How many of you like instant coffee? Some of you do. I mean, if we're desperate, we'll have instant coffee, isn't it? If we're really, really... Anyone know when instant coffee was invented? Anybody know the year? It was invented in 1881. (laughs) 2006, great. It was invented by a Frenchman called Alfonso Allais. From France in 1881. Then that wasn't good enough for for us to have the instant coffee. We needed an instant camera to go with it too. And any of you remember Polaroid cameras that came out? Do you remember those? I mean, they've made a, a real kind of return, haven't they, with Polaroid cameras that you could take a photograph and you would develop it and then you'd shake the picture and you'd have to wait in you for that moment and you'd be waiting 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 how many of you opened it early and it hadn't developed fully and it was all yellow and everything how many of you did that come on 
Yes, so in your age, right now you are. All the young people in church here are going, what on earth are they on about? You know, whereas these days we just have instant photography straight away, do we? Did you know that our culture today, apparently, uh, for the millennial generation, that's bought some people that are born 1985 or below, they take 17 selfies before they even get out of bed in the morning. That's a, that's a true statistic. And do you know why they do that? is they take the first selfie, and they take a, oh, lighting's not good on that, and they take another one, oh, my hair's not quite right there, and they take 17 selfies they take. And you see, we're in this world of instant review where we can take a photograph, have a look at it, oh, that's rubbish. Have you noticed when we look at photographs ourselves, what's the definition of a good photograph, everyone? You're looking good in it, that's right. First person, come on, be honest, when you're looking at a group photograph and you're in it, who do you look for in the photograph first? You're looking for you. You are. You're looking for you. And it doesn't matter if the person next to you has got their eyes closed and is all like looking rubbish as long as you look good. That's a good photograph, isn't it? That's the world we live in with instant everything, instant cameras, instant coffee, until Percy Spencer came along in 1947, 1946. And guess what Spencer, uh, Percy Spencer, invented in 1946 for us? The microwave oven. Yes, and it's true, if you're listening to us online right now, we come from the place called Wales, and it is true what you have heard about the Welsh word for a microwave. The Welsh word for a microwave indeed is popty ping, which is the pinging oven. That is true. That is true. It came around because uh, there's a group of people in Aberystwyth that sit together every year and decide what Welsh words need to be created because stuff happens around us in the world. And just like the English dictionary and Oxford, etc., expand every word to put words in their dictionary. So Welsh culture does the same. But what actually happened, you see, it came from a radio show in Wales, is the story behind it, is there was no word for microwave when it first came out. So on a radio show, they said, well, we'll go with that. And that... That uh, folklore or that phrase went everywhere in Wales that in the end when these people got together <laughs> in Aberystwyth to decide a more sane word for microwave oven, you know, like, I don't know, small wave or whatever we would call it, microwave, this word was already in Welsh culture. So they said, well, we can't call it anything else because that's what people are already calling it, popty ping. And that's the story behind the Welsh microwave oven and it's true. Until something else came up to speed the whole process up. Not just cooking, not just photography, not just coffee, not all the things that we want, guys and girls. A guy called Anthony Bellinson invented instant relationships. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a thing. Instant relationships. In fact, you know it as speed dating. How many of you have been on a speed date here? <laughs> okay, nobody's admitting to go in But you know, you should go on a speed date You should do Do you know, online dating is a success of 1 in 10 Do you know, 1 in 4 is the success of speed dating And the reason it works is because of the face-to-face -face factor Now, some people can laugh about it, you can joke about it But what better way to, you know, because Come on, I'm just being honest here yeah? How many of you have been on a date, lads? And within three or four minutes of being with her around the dinner table, he thought, she's not the one for me. 
She hasn't laughed three of the drop-dead jokes that I've just done so far. She's clearly not the one for me. How many of you, come on, how many of you feel a love here right now? Yeah. So speed dating has got its place. And Anthony uh, Bellinson, who invented it, and the whole course of it, for those of you maybe that are here and been married for 47 years and don't know what speed dating is, basically you sit down with somebody across the table, all of you turn up, and you turn up to this speed dating venue so we could hold a speed dating night here at ABC Church. Shall we do that? No, okay. A speed dating night at ABC Church that, we, that all, the, all the people that are single, not the married ones, <laughs> All the people that are single turn up and you get the opportunity to sit down and talk to someone for between four and eight minutes. And then at the end of it, you can say, hey, I'd like to take it further with that person and I'd like to take her out for a meal or whatever. I think it's got a place in life, don't you? (laughs) Okay, just me that thinks maybe. Because I think it's better than just meeting in a drunken bar. Okay. I think it's, you know, meet people in church, great, but if there's nobody around in church, what do you do? We've got to get out there and meet some people. We have got to. I'm just being practical here uh, about, my, uh, about the thing, about the, the whole point. But the point I'm trying to make is this, okay? When everyone's thinking he's been up there for five minutes already, is he going to get to a text anytime soon? There is no such thing as microwave relationships. No such thing as microwave relationships. In fact, have you noticed from all the things that I've named today? I mean, hands up those of you who like instant coffee. Very few of you. Hands up those of you that like microwave meals. Hands up those of you that like uh, the output of a Polaroid instant camera. Nah. Because everything that has instancy to it generally is not of the highest quality, is it? I mean, if you're going to have a steak, you want a well-matured steak, don't you? I mean, if you want cowl, Welsh broth, you can have today's cowl or you can have tomorrow's cowl. Which is the best cowl? Which is the best Welsh broth, guys? Tomorrow's cowl. So we should cook cowl the day before. On February the 28th or 29th, let's cook it then, so on March the 1st, we can have the best cowl. Cowl da, or what mam used to call cowl aildoim, which is reheated cowl. I would love it. Because we all like things that are good and of quality, and it takes time to make them happen. As we continue our series today in Unoffendable, I want to finish, and it's the last. This is... Uh, message seven in the series, and everyone went, Way. oh. <laughs> I want to finish with a real challenge from the heart of God. And again, it's a very, very basic message that I have for you today because it comes from God's word. How many of you thank God that he makes his word for us so simple and so straightforward so that anyone can understand it? Yeah. He gives us illustrations. He says, I am the bread of life so that bakers can understand. I am the truth so that lawyers can understand. He gives us such easy narratives in Scripture to help us understand and identify with it. And I want to talk to you this morning about a big, big subject that uh, encompasses the majority of our lives. And the message today is called Simply Love. Simply Love. Love. You see, because 
the whole problem with offense and the whole problem we actually get offended in the first place is a, a lack of love. I mean, when you boil it down, when you distill it down, when you take out everything, the reason we get offended about stuff is because of a lack of love. You see, if we love, we learn to see the good in everything. We, if we love, we learn to look past people's differences. If we love, we look past someone's weaknesses and we focus on their strength. If we love, if we truly love like Jesus loved, we become unoffendable. And it's the power of love that held Jesus to the cross. We sing that song, don't we? And we've heard it sung so many times. It wasn't the nails that kept him there. And that's true. Because I tell you what, the king of the world gave himself as a ransom for us by allowing himself to be crucified. The hymnist says he could have called 10,000 angels. Got to be honest, if it was me on the cross, I would have. I would have. But instead, Jesus stretched his hands out and says... Forgive them, Father, because they know not what they do. And the reason he could say so is because he is the embodiment of the very love of God towards you and towards me. And what the Bible says is when we become believers, when we accept Christ, the Bible gives us this lovely picture in Corinthians that old things are passed away and that all things have become new gives us this lovely picture that our old way of life is gone he gets rid of stinking thinking and reframes our world in a way that we think differently as romans 12 tells us that we have a transformed mind that we don't pattern our lives by the way the world lives but we are transformed by the way we live. And it's that love, simply love, the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts, as the Word of God teaches us, allows us to live the unoffendable life. So I want you to turn with the Scriptures to me this morning. And, and before I do so, I want to remind you once again of this verse, Proverbs 4.23, that hopefully by now we've committed this to uh, our memory and hid this word in our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the life spring of life itself. And over the last um, seven sessions that we've been together, hopefully that's what we have learned to do. So the first thing I want to say, I've got two points and seven ways for you this morning. Two points and seven ways. So the two points I wanted to share with you as we turn to the scripture this morning, can you put your uh, finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I call this the lovey-dovey chapter. And the reason I call this the lovey-dovey chapter is there's very few weddings that I'm at that when somebody asks for a reading, that they ask this. I have no idea. I've never actually counted how many weddings I've conducted, but it's got to be probably 60 or 70% of the weddings that I conduct. In fact, James and Aileen, at your wedding that was in January, about 18 months ago or whatever, when you got married, I remember the young man getting up and reading this scripture in Welsh, and he read it uh, very well at your... I was about to say funeral at your <laughs> at your wedding first thing i want to say before we turn to the scripture 
And um, I said to you before, I thank God for Brian and Olga in our church. Do you? Brian and Olga. Brolga. We love Brolga. And one of the things that I love that Brian does is uh, he's such a well-read man that he brings so many different things, you know, little clips and little things that he puts in an envelope, envelope, and he brings them and and will give me a little gift every Sunday morning here at church. I really appreciate it. Uh, But one of the things that he shared with me uh, one day, this is about a year and a half ago, and this is interesting, and this has stuck with me, Brian. I love this. You see... Love doesn't just happen, it needs cultivation. Say it with me, cultivation. That takes effort, doesn't it? Any of you try to cultivate without effort? That's not easy to do. Yeah, you try and turn a garden, you get into a sweat whether you like it or not. Love just doesn't happen. It's not instant. I mean, you can look at it and maybe fall in love, but that doesn't mean you're in love. You see, love is something that is cultivated. And this is what I want to share with you that Brian shared with me. He came up to me on a church, after church on one Sunday morning. He said to me, uh, Pastor, he said, if you sow good seed, what do you get? Help me. Good fruit. Right? This is simple. This is not a catch-you-out question. If you sow good seed, what, seed, what will you get? Okay, follow me. If you sow weeds, what will you get? If you sow nothing, what will you get? Weeds. Oh, isn't that good? Oh, that's good. I can go home now. You see, if we sow good seed, we get good fruit. If we sow weeds, you get weeds. If you sow nothing, you get weeds. And that's why love needs cultivating. That's why we can't just let it happen. Look, you want it all and you want it now. I know that. But you've got to put effort in. We've got to work. You know, if you want a great body, you've got to go down to a gym and you've got to sweat some, haven't you? You've got to say no to cake. (laughs) Haven't you? I mean, that's a shock for some of you. I mean, you can eat as much cake as you like as long as you burn it off. That means a bit more time in the gym if you want to get involved in such, such stuff. But no pain, no Okay, we all know this stuff. And love is no different. And in the simplicity of talking about love this morning, we've got to put in the effort. And if we don't put in the effort, that's what leads to the offended life. It's because we don't cultivate this stuff in our heart in order that we can move forward in the life that God has for us. Turn to me to the scripture. Let's read it together. So the first point that I want to make before we move on is love does not happen. It needs cultivation. Secondly, so how do we cultivate? Let's turn to the word of God and look at seven ways to cultivate love. Turn to me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've got your finger in it. If you've got a Bible or you've got an app, just flick it up right now. If you're listening online, you don't even own a Bible, drop us an email to info at abclife.org. We'd be delighted to send you a Bible. Or better still, if you've got a smartphone, just hop online right now and just type in version Bible and you can download a free Bible app and you can read along with me right now in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
where Paul writes to the church in Corinth. So this is like the church minister writing to the church. So the church minister writes to the church, and this message is brought to us 2,000 years on, the same way to us this morning. And the word of God to us reads thus in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I love that. It's the climax, isn't it? Can I say that again? For always. Always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child... I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put off childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful picture that the Apostle Paul painted of love. True sacrificial love. Love that encompasses every aspect of our lives in good times and in bad times. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, no matter what our situation, that we might realize that the love of God that's in our heart never, ever fails. <coughs> so, Lord, as we turn to your word this morning, open it up. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it. And more than that, O oh God, help us live it, I ask, in Jesus' name, for his praise and glory. Amen. You see, there's some words in life that are very complicated to explain, aren't there? Anti-disestablishmentarianism. <laughs> flocky knocky hilly pilification. There's all these kind of really complex words, and there's one word in the Welsh language that's very, very difficult to describe. In fact, there's two. The first word is the word kutch. It's like a huggle. It's hard to explain. It's not a cuddle. It's not a hug. It's a mixture. Well, I don't know what it is. If you're Welsh, you'll understand what a kutch is when you need a kutch. Anyone need a kutch this morning? 
Yeah, go and see my wife after. She gives fantastic, <laughs> fantastic coaches. But another word is hiraith. And I don't know how you explain it. It's a longing for house and home and all of those things. And it's a, a terrible Welsh thing that wherever you meet uh, any Welshman, wherever they are in the world, they'll always miss home. They'll always miss the Millennium Stadium. They'll always miss uh, Copanid O'Day, a cup of tea. They'll always miss, miss Cowl. They'll miss lots of things that identifies us with our culture. There is something that's so, so painful for lots of people that are abroad or away from home for hereith. And similarly, there's the same problem with this English word love. You see, the Greek word love has four different meanings to it. You know, the first type of love that we have is agape love that the Bible describes. That's the kind of love that God loves us. It's a sacrificial love. It's that kind of love that changes babies' nappies and clears a puke at four o'clock in the morning. Because it's a sacrificial love. It's a love that we put ourselves out. It's not like romantic. I mean, hands up those of you who want to go change babies' nappies this morning. Hands up. Come on, let's be real. So there's a sacrificial type of love. But as well as that, there's an eros love, which is the romantic kind of love. You know the kind I mean, guys. Speed dating love. <laughs> but there's another type of love which is called philia. In fact, it's one of the things I discovered about my own name. Really disappointing I was. Really disappointed I was. You see, my word Phil, Philip, is love. That's what it means. I mean, my older brother is called Peter. My parents named him Peter the Rock. They named my younger brother Michael. Like a god. Great names, aren't they? They named me Philip, lover of horses. <laughs> I'm over it now. I'm over it, just about. Philia. Because just like the love that we have towards one another, there's a brotherly love, but filial love is a love of companionship. One man and his dog. How many of you love your dogs? That's not a romantic kind of love, is it? You know what I mean? Hope not. It's a love that we have that's a love of companionship. And so this love, agape, eros, philia, and the last one, storge. The storge love that the Bible, the, that's in the Greek word, is this love that is basically the love that a, a parents have towards their children. You know, the prodigal son type love that the Bible describes. That there's nothing your kids can do, isn't there? Or well, there shouldn't be. There's nothing that your kids could do that would make you love them more or make you love them less. Please don't tell me your favorites. Please don't tell me you have favorites. Girls, there are no favorites, are there? I think my two of my girls are in church this morning. When I say to them, How much, do, you, do you love me the most, Dad? I say, yes, I love you all exactly the same. They don't think so, but I do. So these seven ways this morning that encapsulates this love covers all that because the English language falls short of this word love because a lot of the time we use that word love and generally we just talk about that romantic love. A love that loves only when things are good. I mean, I love her as long as she loves me. 
as long as she treats me right or he treats me right, and I'm not on about, you know, that, you know, kind of abusive relationships or anything else there, but we can get very self-centered in our relationships. I remember Pastor John Evans telling me on the day I got married, he says, would you like to be treated like a king when you're married, he said to me. And I said, oh, I certainly would love that. He says, then you treat your wife like a queen and she'll treat you like a king. Isn't that good? Guys, if you want her to love you, you love her back times ten. That's the way it works, you see, because we have to sacrifice, we have to have companionship, we have to have all of these components together. And it's this kind of sacrificial love that is described here for us. So quickly, as we close, seven ways that we see in the scriptures here. And I'm going to put onto them some of these phrases I've already used in the series um, for you, but I'm going to use seven practical ways for us. So if you're taking notes this morning, write these down. So the first thing that Paul teaches us is for us to be patient and kind. Don't bother writing that down. Write point number one. Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. That's what being patient and kind is about, isn't it? It's about sucking it up. It's about letting that person that wants to push in with a Tesco trolley in front of you or that person who wants to get into the car queue in front of you, just let him in. Just smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. Become a Madagascar Christian. But it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. But can we put that into action? Because I tell you, as you slowly put these things into action in your life, you will suddenly find yourself becoming unoffendable. Miraculously happens. As we live the life that God has ordered for us, as we are empowered by his Holy Spirit, and his love that's in our hearts, as we let that loose on others, so it changes and transforms us too. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. In fact, that's what we call the theological word of sanctification. As we allow God's love to be shed abroad in our hearts, so it changes us and changes the world around us. If you want to see the change, you've got to be the change. Number two, do not envy. Don't write that down. Please write down, develop an attitude of gratitude. You see, the whole essence of envy and jealousy comes from a place where we are discontented with what we have. And that's why we covet something else. That's why we're envious of others is because we have no satisfaction with what we have. We get jealous of others because they've got something we haven't got. You see, if we learn to develop an attitude of gratitude for what we have, and his blessings, church, they are new every morning, great is his faithfulness. we got health today, haven't we? Those of you that are in church this morning, you could be in a hospital bed like some people in our church this morning. How many of you are free from pain this morning? But other people live in a state of constant pain. Let's develop an attitude of gratitude, shall we? I mean, how many of you would like a nicer car? Well, thank God that you've got a car, not a pushbike, isn't it? And if you've got a pushbike, you should thank God that you've got a pushbike and you haven't had to use, as my father used to call it, Shank's Pony, which is your own legs. And so often we get caught up in this world of looking over the fence of what other people have instead of cultivating an attitude of gratitude. 
God, you're so good, we sang this morning, didn't we? God, you're so good, we sang this morning, didn't we? Yes. You're so good to me. Well, live like it then. Because we can sing the words and we can go home from church. Tell yourself that tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. when your alarm clock goes off. God, you're so good. What do you mean 6 a.m., Phil? Yes, you've got another day ahead of you. And the alarms goes off and you're in your own bed and you're going to your job or going to school or whatever. Imagine being waking up tomorrow morning like thousands that are across our world today that are getting up linked to some kind of machine in a hospital bed that's keeping them alive. Let's learn to develop an attitude of gratitude, shall we? Come on and be practical here. Smile and wave. Develop, secondly, develop an attitude of gratitude. Number three, love does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. It doesn't boast, it is not proud. Don't write that down. <laughs> write this down. Avoid false humility. Yeah. Tell you what, it's the curse of the modern church is false humility. You see, because we might not be proud enough to say, look at me, aren't I awesome? Because you see, you know, very people, the people that say like that, we just think they're an idiot, don't we? Oh, it was a great game. Oh, yeah, I was awesome. Did you see the way I played? You know, people like that don't find time on a team. But false humility is very, very prevalent. Think about it. You see, what happens with false humility, someone comes up to you and says, thank you for doing me a good turn. And we enter into this world of false humility and we say, oh, it was nothing. How many of you do that? Or you help someone out and they want to thank you or they want to show gratitude towards you. And what you do is you put yourself down using false humility. You see, putting yourself down, I like what C.S. Lewis says about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. That's the true definition of humility. So what we do is we get proud of our humility. Someone comes up to you, you know, if you're, I'm not breast with singing. But, I, you know, there are other people here that have got a really, in fact, loads of people like Tom Jones and Shirley Bassey and loads of different people can sing. It's not unusual in Wales. Um, you know, they're blessed with song. And we go, and, and sometimes in church you go, oh, 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 you sang really wonderfully this morning. That, that really, really blessed my heart. And they would just want to say, oh, it was nothing. I'm thinking, no, it, it really was something. It really, really touched me. And the words of that song, it was just in the moment. It really just, oh, 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 that's false humility. Just learn to say thank you. Yeah. I tell you, what, I learned this years ago about my very own preaching. And about so often I would say, I'm turning to God's word this morning. And I would and I'd say, look, I'm not as good as other preachers. And I'm not this and I'm not that. And pastor said, why are you putting yourself down? Pastor Ivion was my mentor for many, many years. said, why do you put yourself down? Humility is thinking less of yourself. So don't be on this extreme, which is pride. But as well as that, avoid false humility. humility. I remember one couple, I think I've spoke to you before about it. They were proud about their Skoda in church. You know, they couldn't afford this car. And they had this um, Skoda that they had that was like about 400 years old, I think it was. And it was coming around. And, and all the time, 
they would get caught up in explaining to everybody that the reason they had this car is because cars didn't mean anything to them. Caught up in a world of false humility. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, so let's not get caught up in false humility. It does not boast, it is not proud. But please don't put yourself down either because you are made in the image of God. So if you reflect his glory, is his glory not supposed to be reflected through you? I tell you what, if you, I wish I could sing. Oh, I tell you what, there's one gift I wish I could, I had. It's the gift that I wish I could sing. God's blessed me with all the gifts that I didn't want. <laughs> I wish I could play rugby for Wales and be at number 10. Oh, God, why didn't you give me that gift? But he didn't bless me with all, so I've got to use what God's given me for his glory. Amen? And you've got to use what God's given you for his glory. So suck it up. If you're good with your hands, do stuff with your hands. If you're good with your head, do stuff with your head. If you're good with your voice, whatever it is, God has given you that gift to make a difference in the world. Please avoid, avoid false humility because you're really mocking the glory of God that you are made in the image of. Number four, we're nearly halfway through. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Don't write that down. <laughs> write this down. Be a nice human. Just be a nice human. You know, sarcasm. And I love what Ephesians 4 says. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up your brother in the Lord. I like that, don't you? I like that, do you? You know, the things that we do sometimes is we can, you know, I remember um, reading some years ago, The Power of Compliments. The Power of Compliments from a little book written in 1936 by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You know, if someone gets their hair cut in a particular way, do you know they ordered it that way? Most times. And you might not think it's nice, but they think it's really cool. That's why they ordered it that way. So you know what the nicest thing you can do to someone when you spot that they've had a haircut is? Guess! Absolutely. I like your hair. Might not be the hair for you. I mean, I'm just being real here. Some of you, all, some of you here in church wish you had hair. You wish you could order that haircut. Let's be real. Some of you wish you had the boldness to get away with ordering that haircut. Come on, let's be real. Some of you have had the hair, same hairstyle since 1964. Because you've lost that sense of bravery, maybe. Well, go out and get yourself a purple haircut if that's what you want. And, you know, go on, go. Because in this church, people will say, I love your hair. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building your brother up in the Lord. That's what it looks like. Love that dress. I love your new car. Love what you've done there. Learn to compliment, not criticize. But instead, around dinner tables, around, did you see what she was wearing? I'm just saying, guys, that's got no place in our vocabulary ever if, we, if we're claiming to be Christians. 
Real talk. No, come on. Got no room. Let no unwholesome talk. Be a nice human, please. Just be a nice human. Number five. Love is not easily angered. Don't write that down. Don't write that down. Write this down. Put the pin back in. You know, we use this illustration of our words can be like grenades, can they? And that sometimes, you know, we know what to say to our sister or our brother, don't we? We know the words to say, and we can just take the pin out, and we can just roll it across, and just with our tongue, we can let it go. And with our words or with our actions, we know what to do, we know what to say. We know to take that perfume, girls. We know to rob that perfume and just not tell mom or take that top or borrow her shoes without permission, or all this. I'm speaking to my girls here. <laughs> we all know the things that we do to trigger one another. Love is not easily angered. We have learned at ABC to put the pin back in. Haven't we? Haven't we? Good. Real talk. Number six, love keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, that list. You've got that list, haven't you? Oh, sorry, don't write that down. Love keeps no record of rods. What you're going to write down is hit delete. Hit delete. There's something good about a delete, isn't there? In fact, I'm a tech person. And every now and again, things need a reboot, don't they? Clear down all the random access memory clean and flush it out. Sometimes, you know, if your phone's not working right, give it a reboot. Switch it off, switch it back on. But you know what I love about what Jesus has done? Is he's given us a firmware update. He's taken this creation called Philip Morgan and he's trying to update the BIOS and he's trying to update the firmware of my head every single day by the way I live. And every once in a while, there's a new security patch that comes out that he wants me to update my firmware. Update the way that I think. But that can't happen unless I delete the old ways. Get the illustration? Your phone's not working? Update. Fixes the bugs. Some of us have got bugs in our lives. We've got stinking thinking and the only way to get rid of it is to get a download from heaven. Allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to change us. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And some of the things that we do is we keep these lists. In fact, the record of wrongs against you has been deleted. Did you know that? The Bible tells us the record of ordinances, the record of bad that we had, he has chosen to remember them no more, says the scripture. So it's the least that we can do to others is to move on. Hit delete, get an update, keep no record of wrongs. And finally to close. Number seven, it does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Write this point seven down. See the good in everyone. Does not delight in evil, 
but rejoices with the truth. You see, what happens in everyday living is we can see the wrong and even in everyone. We were watching a program this week in, on TV and um, Ruth was, as Ruth and I quite often watch different kind of box sets or different programs um, together. And this week we sat down and uh, ended up in Ruth and I having what was a 10 minute, quite a philosophical discussion after this program had finished. And we were talking about the consequences of crime is that some people in life find themselves doing the most horrendous things. And we can judge them for that. And the point Ruth was making is so often we judge without even knowing the upbringing or the past that they had and their journey that's led them to be like that. And I'm not, trust, I'm not saying there should not be justice. I am not. But quite often so many of the perpetrators of the most worst crimes that we have around us a lot of the time their childhood and their upbringing is so so bad it's nothing like yours and so maybe what we should do sometimes instead of judging them so harshly maybe we should look in the mirror and maybe we should look at ourselves and say well with the life that I've had and the head start that I've had that's so much different to theirs should I not be in a better place than wherever I am there go I, but for the grace of God. We say it, don't we? We say it. Are they just words so often though? When somebody breaks into our house, or when stuff happens to us that we get possessive about, I'm just saying, look, they just stole your DVD player. Look in the scheme of things, so you can't watch a few films for like four weeks or whatever it is. Like in the scheme of things, God didn't send his son Jesus to dine across for DVD players it for people what we've got to try and do is rescue the thief that stole your dvd player let's try and make a difference we can only do it if all of us begin to change this world through love so i want the team to come up and we're going to sing to close this song miracles happen because i want miracles to happen in your life and in my life and in the life of this church I believe in the God of the impossible. I believe that we can change this town. Are you with me? Are you with me? And the reason I know we can change this town is there's more than 11 people here. Because back in the book of Acts, there were just 11 people left. 11 apostles. And they decided to take the challenge of the simply love life all of them bar John were killed did you know that all of them bar the apostle John all of them were beheaded and killed for their faith now I'm not saying you'll have to go through that at all great news you don't have to die for your Christian faith how great is that and that's something we should rejoice but I tell you what it is going to cost us and it's going to cost us in our lives because what the Christian walk and the undefendable life involves is a life that we live a simply love life. Is that we learn every day, no matter where we are, in the office, at home, in college, in school, in sickness, in health, rich, poor, wherever we find ourselves, we've got to learn to smile and wave. We've got to learn to have an attitude of gratitude. 
We've got to learn to avoid false humility and just be a nice human. We've got to learn to put the pin back in. We've got to learn to just hit delete and let stuff go and learn to see the good in everyone. That's the miracle. And the miracles happen in his name. He will give you the power to stand. So can I ask you to stand as we sing this song together at close? So as we sing it, and it's listen and focus on the words as we sing, can we sing this song worshipfully as Caris and the team lead us? But let this song today be the anthem of our heart as we go and we live the unoffendable life together. Before we sing, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for each person that's in your house and everyone that's living, that's listening online. Oh God, will you help us to be like Jesus? Help us to love the unlovely. Lord, help others to love us. Lord, we are unlovely to some. Help them to love us, Lord, and as the love of God is shed abroad, that the miracle might happen that relationships will be mended, that marriages will prosper, that families will grow and find success and happiness in everything that they do. And that through families and through lives being changed and transformed by the life-changing power of God in this house, that there will be a light. And there will be a light that is reflective of the light of Christ that will shine as a beacon from this house. And people will be attracted to it. And that we will see not ones and twos, but as the disciples saw, Lord, from left became 3,000 and became thousands. Lord, that we would see this town of Ammonford transformed by the powerful word and life of Jesus. I ask in Jesus' name, God, let a miracle happen today. I ask in your name. Amen. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 59